Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Alrighty, well, I think we'll go ahead and get started this morning. Um, and as Carolyn noted, we're really going to dig into some stuff, because we got not just one whiteboard, but two whiteboards. So buckle up. Let's just say that. No, um, I, I have found that when I teach from PowerPoint, it's really structured and, and rigid and regimented, and you can't really flow with the discussion. And I like whiteboards. I like whiteboards so much that in the teen room, we have an entire wall of whiteboards. Um, so we'll see if it works in here. Uh, but I, I'm excited to, to dig in and, and teach this quarter. A little intimidated to teach, um, anytime you try to, uh, you realize studying in, at least for me, uh, the only thing I walk away with after study is how much I don't know, how much I don't understand. Uh, and that's kind of uh, intimidating when you're teaching because the teacher is supposed to have all the answers, right? Uh, but I flipped the gears and I instead have all the questions. Um, and so hopefully we can dig through and, and understand some things uh, together. Uh, but as we dig in, uh, we're going to dig into the book of Genesis uh, and how does Genesis start? In the beginning, right? And so that's where we're going to actually not start today. Uh, we're going to start in Psalm 104, the 104th Psalm. Uh, and if you want to join me there, um, follow along, but I'll go ahead and read the 104th Psalm out loud um, and just see uh, if there's anything that jumps out uh, from what this psalmist wrote. Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with, spil- with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariots. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his mis- ministers a flaming fire. He sets the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with deep as a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate so that he might bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of men, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nest, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You made darkness and it's night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both great and small. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. 
When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. What's the psalmist looking back on and recounting? Creation. Creation. And that's where we're going to start today in Genesis chapter 1. But as we go through, we'll do a little bit of introduction. Uh, what do we know about the book of Genesis outside of its contents? Who, who wrote it? Okay, it's attributed to Moses. Why is it attributed to Moses? Yeah, uh, and so traditionally we, we attribute it to Moses. We attribute the first five books of the Old Testament, which are also called the Pentateuch, to Moses. Uh, and that's because of a line that's in Exodus. Uh, my understanding is this because there's a line that's in Exodus where it talks about Moses began to write things down. Um, but tradition dictates that uh, Moses wrote this. Um, and generally, the tradition is, is pretty spot on. Like uh, the book of Matthew. Who wrote the book of Matthew? Why do we say Matthew wrote the book of Matthew? Well, but his name's not in the text. His name's on the title. Uh, but tradition dictates that, that the book of Matthew wrote it. And that tradition, uh, regardless of which area of that um, uh, the Middle East, um, all the churches attributed that, that writing to Matthew. And so we have tradition attributing the book of Genesis to Moses, um, the Pentateuch to Moses. Uh, and if you dig in and understand it, though, um, there are some other people that helped with it. Um, because in uh, the Pentateuch, we also see a verse that says Moses died. Um, so Moses probably did not write that verse. So he most likely had some help. Uh, but generally, Moses wrote it. And who was it written to? Or for? Okay, it's written for us. That's absolutely right. But who is it written to? It was written to the people of Israel. And that leads me to uh, talking a little bit about some rules that we're going to put together. Or maybe not rules, more like guidelines uh, on Bible study. So when we approach Bible study, how are we to approach it? What should our attitude be? Oh, let the book speak for itself. And, and this, is where, this is where PowerPoint hurts me, right? Because I got a whole big list up here. Um, and Marty just picked out the last one. Uh, but we, we're going to let the book speak for itself. And so what do we mean? What do you mean, Marty, when you say the, the let the book speak for itself? All right. Uh, well, we'll get back to you in a minute. It, it, uh, it defines its terms? Yeah. Uh, and so we will use the terms that the book finds. And, and what's interesting in the Old Testament, there's a lot of terms in the Old Testament that we're going to use the way the Old Testament defines it unless what? Unless the New Testament has redefined it for us. Um, that's kind of outside the scope of what we're going to discuss in our class, uh, but there's some things um, that, that we'll, we'll discuss a little bit um, as we move on. Uh, what would you say up here? We're going to be objective? Okay, and so why, why do we need to be objective and open-minded? Oh, so there's times where we can bring our, our preconceived ideas and conceptions into the text. 
Uh, and that's big. And so that's where we, we oftentimes can read into the text, but we need to instead do what? Read out. And what is the term um, that, that is associated with reading out of the text? Ex is out, right? Exegesis. Exegesis. Uh, and what's the opposite of exegesis? Eisegesis. Eisegesis, and that's where we read into the text. And that's going to be, uh, that's going to be important. So you guys got two of my four. Uh, what else? What other guidelines do we want to have as we approach a Bible study? There are no wrong answers. Okay. Context history. Tom, you're... Okay, so we have some application that, that we're going to need to pull from it. Uh, and so that wasn't one of mine, but uh, um, we need to understand application uh, is there. But there are some times as we look through different genres in the Bible, some of them are, are, are more prose, some are poetry, um, some give a historical account. Some are just telling what happened, and there may not be application for everything. Um, but generally, whenever that there is a takeaway, uh, whenever we are, are involved in God's word, uh, but that application may not be a direct "Thou shalt do." What else are we thinking for our rules for Bible study? Okay, so who is talking? Who is talking? Uh, which what is another word for for who is talking? Uh, I mean, God is talking here. I'm trying to lead you so I don't have to, to move forward on the PowerPoint. Okay, God through Moses. So who has authority? God has authority. I'll go ahead and put my, my uh, the ones I came up with up here. Um, objective, open-minded. Um, that's kind <clears> of, <throat> I thought, uh, of approaching it with humility. Uh, because when we read into the text, we usurp God's authority. We usurp uh, the authority of the author, uh, and I think it's something that we need to be cautious if we are going to usurp God's authority. I don't think that ends very well for people uh, throughout the Bible, and it probably won't end well for us today. So we need to approach with humility, uh, which often will come to uh, the conclusion that, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, the Bible is written for us, but not to us. Uh, we uh, can easily think that we have God figured out, and kind of same with the authority. Uh, if we ever come to the conclusion that we 100% definitively have God 100% figured out, um, I think we probably need to take a step back. Uh, he's given us glimpses into how he works. He's given us glimpses into how he thinks. Uh, but I would say in the grand scheme of everything, there's very little that we can definitively say 100%. Um, and those are probably the fact that we were created by God uh, and Jesus died for us. Uh, everything in between is kind of a, a question mark. Uh, God chose a specific culture. Uh, this kind of goes with the point that Marty made. God chose a, or chose a specific culture with a specific language to communicate himself to us. And what's the significance of that when it applies to us today? God chose to reveal himself to the Hebrew people, through the Hebrew language, how many years ago? Yeah, like 2500 B.C. So that's like 5,500 years ago. 6,000 years ago is when God chose to reveal himself to us. Uh, and it's kind of intimidating when you think about it, but that means that we need to understand uh, a little bit about that culture, understand a little bit about that language so that we can understand what God 
intended to communicate. Uh, and then also kind of what Marty discussed, the text cannot mean what it never meant. Uh, to understand what God wants us to understand, we must read out of the Bible. Old Testament words have Old Testament meaning unless redefined in the New Testament. Are, are we pretty good with these kind of guidelines? Because they're going to, to form the rest of our, our discussion today. Uh, and I got a, a big punch in the gut uh, when I started reading Genesis uh, with these, this in mind. Yeah, very much, very much, very much. The Old Testament was written as a tutor, as a pedagogue for us to, to guide us to the sole point that, that God loves us enough that Jesus came and died for us. All right, so before we dig into the text, let's get all of our preconceived notions on the whiteboard. We got a whiteboard. I'll shift over here to this one. What is everything we know about? Uh, we'll just start with Genesis 1 today. What's everything we know about uh, the first uh, page and into like the second couple verses of Genesis chapter 2? Spit it out there. Okay, began with God. What else do we know? There are no wrong answers here. There just be maybe some stuff that we identify from the text later on. What else do you know about Genesis 1, the creation account? Okay, he created from nothing. What else? How many days? Ooh, so six of creation, one of rest. What else? It was good. Okay, and then we also have this statement later on of something that's very good. Okay, he was satisfied. Pretty short list. Say that again. Okay, so he set in motion uh, the seasons. Ooh. God not by himself. He set what for? Okay, set rules. What'd you say, Kenny? Anything else that jumps out to us? What we remember, what we think about when we think about the, the first little bit of Genesis. Oh, it created man, and man is the head of all else that was created. Yeah. It, yeah. And so there was a, a, a um, specificity. There, there was a design in the order of how he created. Don. Yeah. And what was the other thing? Yeah. And there's there's huge significance in that thought of image uh, that we'll, that we'll discuss. Uh, what else jumps out? If not, we'll, we'll shift gears and actually dig into the text. My conclusion to, uh, and, and it's, it's, I guess, my working conclusion, the conclusion that I'm going off of after digging into to Genesis, the first uh, 11 chapters, uh, is that I know nothing 
um, except uh, that at the end of the matter, when all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. Um, stuff that I thought I knew definitively, stuff that I had argued previously till I was blue in the face, uh, doesn't quite hold up uh, after looking at things without my, my preconceived notions. Um, and we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. And don't worry, I'm not a heretic. You don't have to get your pitchforks out or your uh, uh, flaming torches. Um, we'll just look at things uh, a little differently today. Any other comments before we dig in? God created a perfect world, and from that day to this, we're just messing it up. Just messing it up. Very good point. All right. We'll go ahead and read with me another long section, <clears throat> but I think it's important that we look at uh, the, the, this first week. And like, like Greg mentioned, it's six days, but there's one. And what is the most important day? The Saturday is the most important day. And Megan kind of jumped on me. I was asking her how many days were involved in creation. And what do we normally say? We normally say six days of creation. But we completely miss the point. When we only look at six days of creation, we miss the fact that God rested on the seventh day. And we're probably not going to get to it today, but you still have to come back next week. And we'll discuss uh, and dig into a little bit of why that was the pinnacle of creation. When we look at it from a, a scientific perspective, we only want to focus on the six days. And we miss the fact that there is a seventh day and that God rested on that seventh day. But that also doesn't negate the, the fact that there were, there were six days. Does that make sense? So let's look at this first week. Genesis chapter 1. Um, it should be pretty easy to find in your Bible. It's most likely page number 1, right there at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits, trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to its own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. 
And God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the water swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he had rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Pretty amazing stuff. I think after you read that, and you read that, and you read that, there's nothing to do except sit back in awe, amazement, and wonder as to what God did. How it happened, I don't know. I just know that it did happen. But we do get some glimpses uh, in the text as to how it happened. But first, um, what, do, what, what jumped out to you as we were reading through this? What, what things were repeated? What things maybe did you see differently that you hadn't seen before? Again, there are no wrong answers. Or maybe things that you saw that agreed with some of the things on the list. Yeah. And, and so based off what Marty said, right, um, she clearly picked out that we're going to let the term, the Bible, define its own terms. And here, how does the Genesis account define a day? There was evening and there was morning the first day. So based off the text, how many hours is in that day? 24 hours. I mean, it doesn't say hours. But what does that day conclude? That day has an evening and that day has a morning. A thousand years, that verse in 1 Peter doesn't discuss that here. So if we were going to let the book define itself, it has a 24-hour, for lack of a better term, period of day. I think that that's beyond argument. And if people are going to start arguing that, then you're kind of missing the point. What else jumps out to us? Okay, yeah. Uh, and, and people that are arguing with trying to get their point of view out, but I, I'm going to, uh, this was a punch of the gut for me when I realized it. Some of our focus on the six days of creation, I think is just reactionary to evolutionary teaching, the teaching of evolution. Uh, and so we have let that pendulum swing the other direction to where we're holding on to some stuff 
that may not be in the line with, with Scripture. Um, if we were to, the, the Bible does not argue for or against evolution. The Bible is agnostic towards evolution. And if you were to look at evolution, it doesn't hold up under its own regard. Um, there are things in the Bible, some wisdoms in the Bible, that from an application standpoint uh, do refute evolution, but that's not the point of the biblical authors. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that I agree with evolution. I, I want to make that clear. The Bible, I think, is clear that it doesn't agree with evolution either. But the Bible is not a scientific textbook to refute modern technology or modern thinking. The Bible was written to a culture to communicate how God is, how God works. Does that make sense? Yvonne. Yeah, and, and it does, and it does. And, and Don is, is astute to pull out that point. Um, in order to work away from that, you've got to bring some other stuff in. What else jumps out to us about this, this first chapter, what we read? Ah, and that's huge, right? Uh, and so um, the terms uh, are still used today. How cool is that? And, and, and think about it. We, we, we're not there, but in the chapter 2, all the animals are brought in front of Adam. And what does he do? He names them. And the names that Adam gives him, what do we use today? We use the same names. And the, the plants and the animals uh, uh, multiplied according to their kind. And so the animals and plants that we see today, guess what Adam saw? He saw the same stuff. He saw the same stuff. What else jumps out to us from the text? Done. Yeah. And so that, that's a very astute point. Uh, the stars, the sun, the moon are there to know times, days, seasons, uh, which show it's built around that, that 24-hour consistent time. Um, Jim, they are. They are. It holds truth regardless. Lindsay. Yeah, so light... Uh, So light before sun. Sun comes around on day four, but light's there on day day one. Uh, Navigation. Okay. So on, on that note, we're, we're picking out some things. Who is the benefactor of creation? Who benefits? Man. Man. And I'm not a comparative religion guy. But if you look around throughout other ancient um, teachings on creation uh, and the creation accounts, that they, they do incorporate gods of some sort, but who is the benefactor of that creation? The gods. And so when the gods plant, or when a garden is planted, who's, who is the food for in the, the non-biblical traditions? It's the food of the gods, right? But here, all of creation, as we're going to see, is to man's benefit. And so how awesome is that? The God of the, the Israelites uh, created this, this beautiful world for man, for man's benefits. Kind of like, I know I'm, not, I'm going to jump out of the text, uh, but in John 14, Jesus talks about that he's going away to do what? To prepare a place for us. What happened in Genesis chapter 1? God prepared a place for us. Is that cool? I think it's cool. Done. And that's huge. That is absolutely huge. And that's a perfect segue to the next point. What is the opposite of order? Chaos. 
And so we're going to look at this dichotomy all the way through. We're going to look at order and chaos. Oh, and uh, if you talk to the teens, I'll tell you that my handwriting gets progressively worse and my spelling is non-existent. Um, so take your own notes. <laughs> Let's dig in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's stop there. What do we see from this verse? Did we see something similar in our reading this morning? We're going to see bookends. So this is the opening bookend uh, of what? Where's the end? Where does it end? Look through the text of what we read. Okay, but let's look for, let's try to find this similar wording. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. Where, where do we see that word repeated itself? The heavens and the earth. Second chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, right? Do you, see, do you see it? So there's kind of a book in. So it's kind of like opening up the book. How does Star Wars begin? There's a scrolling thing, right? And all of a sudden, John Williams' music comes in. And then what? how does it start? A long time ago in a galaxy far away. Moses, or the author of Genesis, is forming our attention back to where? The beginning. And at the beginning, something happened. What happened at the beginning? God created. And so then he gives this entire account, and after chapter 1, we see in chapter 2 that thus completed what? Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. So we see that this creation account happens in between this section here. So what does it mean? Uh, one thing that we need to also be aware of. What language was this originally written in? Hebrew. What happens during translation? And Andrew Bennell may be a, a, a better resource for this than me, but what happens when you translate something, when you translate anything? You lose meaning. It changes. So there is interpretation involved with translation. Does that make sense? Because as you go through these ancient languages, and, and, and what is really cool, our understanding of ancient languages um, just grew exponentially in like the last 50, 60 years uh, because we're finding more uh, of the, the ancient language that, that has been written down. So our understanding of it morphs or, or grows. How do you become more proficient in the English language? You read books, right? You listen to it. You, you read it. You engross yourself in it. In order to become more familiar with the English language, you have to read English. But in order to be able to read English, you have to know English language. And so you see how it's kind of like this dichotomy that they go together. The same thing with Hebrew. And anything you change from Hebrew to English, you're going to interpret to some extent. And so that's something that we need to understand. Uh, some of these key foundational words, we need to look at the way that the Hebrew author intended it be used. And the beautiful thing is there is that we got tools that, that are far uh, better than me to discuss uh, how uh, it is used. Maybe we got up there. Okay, this is one that I used, uh, um, BibleHub.com. Um, this is what Kenny was asking about on, on Wednesday night. BibleHub.com, the way that I, I use this, and I'm a novice at it, and I, I will readily admit that. Um, up here at BibleHub.com, um, up at the top, there's an interlinear section. Um, that will show 
The, uh, the text is here in red, and that's just the literal interpretation, the literal translation. Uh, it may not make the most sense from a, a, a flow on um, the readability. With Hebrew, we read from left to right, right to left. So in the beginning created God the heavens and the earth. Um, so in that translation process and putting books together, you kind of massage the English to make it work a little bit differently. But the beautiful thing is, with this resource, we can dig in and really look at some of these key foundational words. So that one word uh, that, that a lot of this hinges on is created. So if we look at created, we see that it's the, this is a Hebrew word that doesn't mean anything to me. Um, so I look at this transliterated word, bara. Uh, so I can click on that, and it will show me how many times uh, that word is shown up throughout the Bible. And if we do that, we're going to see about 50 times that word pops up. But I don't want to really see how many times. I want to understand how that word is used. So I can click on this Strong's number, um, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Do you guys remember those big old, I mean, how thick was that, that Strong's, right? Uh, th this is cool. You just click on it, and it goes right to it. I don't have to be flipping through a book anymore. Uh, and so I see here, not, it has a shortened concordance over here. Uh, it has the word... Bara, which means its definition is choose. That doesn't make any sense. Wait, how was the word used in Genesis 1.1? Bara is used created, but here, by definition, it's choose. If we look down here, it can further be defined as to shape or create. Okay, my anxiety has gone. I'm back to comfortable, right? Uh, the word was translated to shape or create. Now, what's the difference between create the way that we think of it versus to shape something or create something. If you shape it, what, how does that differ from the way that we would read Genesis 1-1? You transform. And so it'd be like Plato up here, right? If I had Plato up here, I could create, uh, not very much, I could create a long noodle, I could create a pretzel from Plato, uh, and that'd be about the extent of it. But I would create it, but what is there before? There was something there before that all I did was take it and shape it. And we can see that's the way that this word has been used. We can further dig in and really understand that um, down. This is just a, if I were to scroll down on the page down here, uh, the, the, these, these three guys in their editorial dictionary put it together. Uh, that bara uh, is a verb used to shape or create. Um, it's most likely a loan, loan from Aramaic, or from Arabic, excuse me. Um, but then look at how, it's, how it can be used. To form, to fashion by cutting, to shape, to pare out a reed for writing, a stick for an arrow. So we can see a, a, a taking of one thing and transforming it and giving it purpose. Does that make sense? So let's look, why is this the word that is used by the Israelites? Why is this the word that is used? Created. What was at the beginning of the Genesis account? Let's look again. What was at the beginning of the Genesis account? God was. But look at verse 2. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What was there? Something was there. The earth, and the earth was what? It was without form, and it was void. 
What else do we see was there? Waters. Water was there. What else is there? I should probably write on my whiteboard. What else was there? Okay, the Spirit of God. We see the earth. Uh, we saw what? Uh, waters. We saw God. We saw God's Spirit. Darkness. And darkness is really not anything. It's kind of the absence of something, right? But, but what do we see, though? The way the Israelites read this, at the beginning, God was there. God created the heavens and the earth. But the earth had a form. But it didn't have a purpose. It didn't have function. It didn't have order to it. So who stepped in? God stepped in. Now, the Israelites and the cultures surrounding them were not concerned from a material origin standpoint. If we look at material origins, so that's where uh, the Israelites, they didn't ask the question, uh, how did God create something out of nothing? That was not the question they were asking. The question they were asking is, how did God put order into this? Who asked the question on how did God create something out of nothing? We do today, right? What's really cool is 2,500 years after Moses wrote this, there were some other people that were asking, how did God create something out of nothing? And we see accounts of that in the New Testament. Where are the New Testament accounts of creation? In the beginning was the Word, right? So in John 1, 3, in Colossians 1, 16, and in Hebrews 11, 3, maybe? Those are the ex nilio. I don't know if I butchered it, Andrew, sorry. Um, That's out of nothing. Those are the out of nothing accounts of creation. That's where it says that, boom, in the beginning, God created everything from a material standpoint. Genesis is talking about God put order to everything, that it was already there. The Plato's on the table, but the Plato on the table is boring and useless and purposeless without God creating order. Does that make sense, or did I just lose everybody? Void does mean empty. But the word is tohu vavohu, which is uh, pointless and useless. It's useless. It doesn't serve a function. You guys, do you guys follow? Uh, I'm not saying, uh, I'm just saying that the way that the Israelites would have read this, it's a shaping from Plato, not a Plato factory. Does that make sense? Marty. Yes. And, and, and so it's just like a potter with clay, um, where he's not talking about how the potter got the clay. It says that the clay is on the wheel, and he's spinning it to do what? A lump of clay is useless until it's shaped into something that provides a function. Does that make sense? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the watchers. We see that the earth lacked purpose. And then what happens in verse 3? This is probably all the further we'll get today. We'll get through day one today. i got two minutes. What happens on verse 3? Okay, let there be light. And what is this light? What is the light? No, it's not. What is it? Let's use the text to define itself. What is this light? 
we got two other verses that can help us define what this light is. It's not the sun. We know that. What is it? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. So what is the light? Day. Do you see how the text defines? The text tells us what the light is. He called the light day. He gave it identity. He gave it purpose. Do we say that day is light? Is it light outside? You betcha. What else? Uh, Why did he choose to call it day? He calls the day when it's light out. He calls it night when it's darkness. What's the difference? And then he goes immediately into there was evening and there was morning the first day. Time. And that is, is key on day one. As God is putting order together for the benefit of man, how do we frame everything? Time. And so the order that God puts in place on day one is what? Time. He puts time in place. How does man benefit from time? It's structure. It's order. It provides purpose. And um, real quick, i got 30 seconds left. Go to chapter 8 of Genesis. And this will be a little bit of a, a sneak peek into what we'll talk about next week. Chapter 8 of Genesis concludes what account? The flood, right? The flood. At the end of it, in 8.22, we're going to see the first three days of creation, but we're going to see them in reverse. 8.22 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. Okay, so do do you, I, I want us to understand that on day one, God provided time. He brought order out of the chaos by saying that there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. Now, could it, could it be used uh, 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 as an uh, allegory? Could it be discussing that God's presence was light? It, it could be. But that's not what the Hebrew author is wanting, or the, the Israelite author, Moses, is wanting us to get. I'm still in the Hebrews class. Um, does, does that make sense? Do you see how he brings order by bringing light, separating light? From darkness. And so then it's curious, why did the Israelites' day start in the evening? Why did the first day start with an evening? Our day starts in the morning. Why did theirs start in the evening? Because it was dark. And there was first an evening. Out of darkness, there became light. So even the way that the Jewish day was put together, was a callback to creation and how God brought light out of darkness. Make sense? All right, we made it to day one. I got 13 weeks to make it to chapter 11, uh, but this is cool. If we spend four or five weeks on the first, first chapter, that's all right. Um, I'll end with uh, us with a, a prayer, and then we'll, we'll dig into our, our worship period.
Uh, yes, please, Yvonne. And it may be, but that's where we got to be careful that we're not reading stuff into the text that's not there. That, that's, a, that's an eisegetical approach by saying that it's discussing global warming. Uh, well, regardless, that, that's us reading something into the text that's not there. Uh, let, let's end with a prayer, uh, and then uh, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to, to, to come up uh, afterwards or after worship. Let, let's bow. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, Father, that we can gather from it what you would have us glean. We're thankful, Father, that you are the creator of everything. We're thankful, Father, that you have the order in our lives. And we pray, Father, that we can uh, grow closer to you uh, and closer to the refuge that you offer. This prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless. Thank you.